the beginning, right at creation, the Torah describes a condition called toihu, chaos, that uh, in the beginning, the early stages of creation, there was darkness and there was water and there was the spirit of God hovering over the water. And that was a condition of chaos, of toihu. Then, in the six days of creation, and each day, God introduced order, tikkun, to creation. Putting things where they belong, giving things their purpose, their function, and so on. So, the existence of water was part of that chaos condition in the early stage of creation. On the second day of creation, God said, let the water separate and the dry earth come to the surface and be visible. And that's when God created heaven or firmament, whatever, whatever that is. He also created a gathering of waters because the, the, the natural state or the, the original primal state of the world was that all earth was a solid globe surrounded by water and the water was surrounded by air and the air was surrounded by fire, by energy. On the second day of creation, when the waters separated and allowed the uh, segments, the pieces of this earth globe to float to the surface, what happened then was that the earth contained the water. There was a gathering of waters. And as the Torah says, this gathering of waters, this mikveh mayim, this gathering of waters, God named or called oceans or seas. So the first time we find the word mikveh connected, associated with water, the first time we find that mentioned is in the very act of creation where God created gathered waters rather than um, chaotic waters. So the first thing we know now about mikveh, about a gathering of water, is that water can exist in two states. It can exist in a chaotic state, in a state of toihu, or it can exist in a tikkun state, in a state of, of orderly function that, uh, that facilitates the purpose of creation. So going from ungathered water to gathered water is the process, a very, a very basic process, primal process of going from chaos to purpose. Now, what does chaos mean in God's creation? Obviously, it doesn't mean uncontrolled or purposeless, uh, meaningless existence. Chaos means an existence that is necessary for the purpose of creation but doesn't directly contribute to that purpose. It's like uh, 
the basic stuff with which you build a house, but uh, it's not yet functioning, it's not yet harnessed in the actual construction and the actual building of the house. So it's raw material. When that raw material gets focused into the creative process, then it's called tikkun. The idea of the gathering of the water is that the rush of waters, the flow of waters, is a very creative potential, has a very creative potential. But when it rushes, it, uh, its own energy is so intense that it doesn't permit it to create or to be creative. So the potential overwhelms itself and, and is therefore chaotic, non-productive. But when that energy is harnessed, when that energy can be, can be contained, can be gathered uh, and, and, and directed, then it becomes a very powerful creative force. So in the beginning, the waters were chaotic. They had a great potential, but they were not focused. Then God gathered the water, and by gathering, he gave it a purpose and a direction so that its creative potentials would be productive and creative. Uh, we find the same thing with washing of the hands, that when you wash the hands, you have to have contained water. You have to gather water in a container and then pour that gathered water over your hands. And again, the idea is that water has a great potential, but when it flows, it, uh, it destroys, by its own energy, it destroys the boundaries, the borders, the definitions that need the energy that the water has so that the water is not contributing its energy to a focused, to a gathered, to a collected, to a definable purpose. When you gather the water and the rush of the waters calms down, then it becomes focused, directed, and created. The idea of a mikvah, when uh, a married woman uh, goes to the mikvah, which is essential, of course, to the marriage and to the, and to the children born of the marriage and so on. But so, many, so much has been said about mikvah, uh, and, and so much has been written, uh, which is available and, uh, and important. <clears throat> There's this one point, this one idea that maybe hasn't been given a lot of attention. And that is that the mikveh itself, the gathering of waters, the way the mikveh is made, so that the water which is raw and natural is gathered into one place, uh, is this process of going from chaos to order, from taihu to tikkun. And, of course, the same is true in the biological process of fertility, where the body is uh, capable of, of endless creation. Uh, its creative potential is, is, uh, is, is infinite, but it has to be focused. It has to be uh, 
guided to a specific, definite uh, creation. So when that potential for life, the potential to create, to give birth, overwhelms itself, so to speak, uh, and needs to, needs to refresh itself or renew itself, that process is the process of toihu, of chaos. When, after going to the mikvah, the potential for actual birth is renewed, that's the tikkun, that's going back to the orderly process of creation. And in order for the body to make that transition, the mikvah, the gathering of waters, is necessary to facilitate that transition. Because that's where God, in creation, put the potential and the ability to renew creative energy from chaos to to order, to tikkun. What is not understood or very well known about the idea of mikvah and the whole concept of, uh, of ritual uncleanliness is that uh, the, the general uh, conventional understanding is that there are times when a woman is ritually impure because there is a touch of death, a hint of death, the loss of life potential, or as we were saying, the chaos, um, the chaos state. And during that time, the husband may not approach her, may not touch her, because she is off limits, she is unclean. And around this concept, other nations, other uh, cultures, developed all sorts of superstitions, all sorts of taboos, all sorts of, um, of misunderstanding or misinterpretation of the, uh, the reason, the purpose of this separation between husband and wife. What's missing in the whole equation is that the woman is really the center of attention here. It's, the, it's, it's about her, not about the husband. And yet, somehow it got turned around that it is the husband's uh, need, it's the husband's uh, welfare that we're concerned with. And that's why the separation, because the husband needs to avoid contact with his wife. The truth, of course, is the exact opposite. There's a law in, um, in the Rambam, in the laws of the Beis HaMikdash, where it speaks about the, uh, the uncleanliness, the ritual impurity of an animal that died in the temple. Animal walked into the temple, crawled into the temple, and died. Well, that's an impurity. A, a Kohen is not allowed to be in the same building, under the same roof, with an unclean uh, carcass, with an, un, uh, with an impure carcass. <clears throat> so now the question is, does the Kohen go into the temple in order to remove this uh, the animal, or must he not go into the temple? 
There's a, lo- there's a whole discussion there in the Talmud about this. The conclusion is that he may not go into the temple. Now, the Rambam adds a very interesting twist to the whole concept. He says, the Kohen, the priest, is not allowed to go into the temple when there's an impurity in the temple because of the following reason. As he goes into the temple, he becomes impure. And then his presence in the temple is violating the holiness of the temple because he is in his impure state present in the, in the temple which is holy. So here's an interesting twist. It's not that the, the Kohen is not allowed to go into the temple because he might be, he, because he will become unclean or impure and his purity is what's being protected. On the contrary. As he goes into the temple, he will become impure. And then, being impure, he does not belong in the temple because the temple is being protected from his impurity. Now, a person can argue, the temple is already impure. There's there's a dead animal there. So the Kohen going into the temple, becoming impure, and then being present in his impurity in the temple is only adding a little more impurity to an already impure temple. And yet, this is the prohibition. The Kohen is not allowed to bring his impurity to the temple, even if the temple has its own impurity. And the same, of course, is true with a husband and wife. The reason a husband does not approach his wife, or doesn't make con- physical contact with his wife, until she goes to the mikvah, is not to protect his purity, but to protect hers. Because as he becomes impure, he adds his impurity to her, and that's not acceptable. Now, we find this idea in the uh, preparation to receiving the Torah. God said to Moshe, tell the people to prepare for the giving of the Ten Commandments for the revelation at Sinai. And they had been counting. Actually, they had been preparing. They had been counting for 49 days from the day they left Egypt. But God said, prepare yourselves because for two days. And Moshe went ahead and told the people to prepare themselves for three days. And part of the preparation was, as the Torah says, uh, Make, uh, prepare yourselves, get yourselves ready, do not approach a woman. And again, the conventional assumption is, do not approach a woman means men should stay holy. But Moshe went ahead and made it a three-day preparation rather than a two-day preparation. And Rashi tells us that's because by having three days of separation between men and women, that allowed the women to become Uh, ready to be prepared to not be ritually impure from their husband. So again, conventional wisdom seems to put all the emphasis on the the effects on on the husband, when in fact the subject, the topic is women, the woman, and therefore the benefit must be to the woman and not to the man.
So the story of the mikra uh, appear the the concept of mikra appears throughout all of Torah, beginning again with creation. During the flood, we find again the theme of mikra, because God destroyed the world in the flood because the world had become so corrupt and so impure. But God can destroy in so many different ways. Why with a flood? Why with water? And so if we look at the, uh, at the description of the flood, we find that just as a mikvah, in order to be, uh, to be proper, to be functional, valid, has to have 40 measures of water, the, uh, the, the flood, the rain of the flood was also for 40 days and 40 nights. Just as the mikveh has to cover the entire body, including the hair, the rain of the flood waters covered the tips of the mountains. And only then did it stop, did it stop raining. So in a sense, God purified the world by taking it to the mikveh, by immersing the world in 40 days and 40 nights worth of natural rainwater. Uh, so the world was not just destroyed in the flood, it was purified in the flood. And that's why after the flood, the rainbow appeared, because the rainbow is a natural result of a solid firmament, a solid heaven, that can uh, break down the, the different wavelengths or the different uh, colors in, in the light, which before the flood, this, uh, th- this didn't happen. There was no rainbow because the heavens were not solid enough. They were not stable enough to, to, produce, uh, to produce the rainbow. So the flood, on the one hand, uh, killed all living beings, but on the other hand, purified, cleansed the world, and took it again from a state of chaos to a state of order, to a state of, of tikkun. And so it is every time that we go to the mikvah. <clears throat> it's like returning to the state of chaos, to the primal state of potential that is undirected, unspecific, non-specific. And then coming out of the water, gathered waters, we are now focused, we are now creative in a, in a productive, practical, tikkun fashion. Similar to the amniotic fluid, which the infant, uh, the fetus, uh, lives in, which is when the creative activity is, is most intense. But, does not yet have a purpose or a function. The child doesn't have an identity of its own. It doesn't have a responsibility of its own. It doesn't have, an, in essence, a life of its own. And by being born, by leaving the amniotic fluid, uh, the child goes from the chaos to the order, to the tikkun. And then going to the mikvah, immersing yourself, being completely uh, immersed in the water, is like returning to the amniotic fluid regaining that energy and that creativity uh, that is so intense that it doesn't yet 
have a focused purpose. And then coming out of that mikvah, uh, again, like the rebirth, uh, going back into the world of tikkun, into the world of purposeful, directed creativity. There was a woman in Russia in the, in the bad days who went to the mikvah in, uh, in, in the sea. Of course, when, when, it was, uh, ab- when it was abandoned, when there was no one there, it was late at night, it was very dangerous for a number of reasons. First of all, uh, being out there alone was itself dangerous. Um, if she were questioned as to what she was doing, uh, her husband could lose his job, she could lose her job. Uh, the, the, the numbers, the, the various dangers were, were numerous. But she went to the mikvah. As she came out of the water and was getting dressed, she, uh, she, she thought that maybe she hadn't done, uh, done it right. Maybe she didn't completely um, fulfill the mitzvah properly. And she thought maybe she should go back and do it again. But then every moment, every second that she was there was just more danger, more tension, more fear. And so she struggled within herself, should I or shouldn't I go back, not go back, do it again, not do it again. In the end, she decided she she had to go back and do it again. And she did. Eventually, she she got out of Russia with her family and uh, made her way to visit the Rebbe. She was showing the Rebbe pictures of her family, of her children. And the Rebbe pointed to one of the children and said, there's something special about this child, just from the picture, from the photograph. There is something, there's something holy about him. And that was the child that was born after this mikveh episode where she had that, that devotion, that sacrifice, self-sacrifice, of going back and doing it a second time just to make sure that she had done it right. Now, the effect that that had on the child was so powerful that it was visible to, to, to the Rebbe who had the eyes and the perception to see it. It was visible not only on the face of the child, but even in the photograph of the child. So this process this this uh, purposefulness that mikvah brings, going from the chaos to the order, is is really the whole purpose of creation, and that's why mikvah is is treated as such a special mitzvah, so absolutely essential and basic to Jewish life not only because it affects children and future generations, which is, of course, crucial to Jewish survival and to Jewish identity and so on, but it, it, it speaks to the very heart of creation itself. God's purpose in creation to take a, cha- a chaos condition, 
an intense energy, an intense create creative potential that is so intense that it overwhelms itself. And to capture that, to gather that into a into a specific, into a focused, guided uh, creation, with a with a reason, with with a with a with a purpose, with a goal that uh, that we can participate in, that we can contribute to, that we can be part of. This this is this is everything. This is the whole story of creation. The purposefulness is really at the heart of all of Yiddishkeit. That God created the world with a purpose. That the world satisfies a purpose. That the existence of the physical, of the mundane, of this world that has taken so long to to become decent, to become what it what it needs to be, what it should be, what it's intended to be. And through all the trials and tribulations, one thing keeps us optimistic. One thing keeps us motivated and inspired. There's a purpose. There is a purpose. There is a reason. There is a plan. We're headed somewhere. We're going somewhere. We're accomplishing something. We're not in chaos. And that all this potential, all this energy that sometimes gets misguided, misdirected into evil uh, energies, into, um, into the success of evil, which needs to be rechanneled, that needs to be redeemed and brought to the tikkun and brought to, the, to contribute towards the purpose. That's the whole scheme of creation. The balance of good and evil is really the balance of chaos and order. Um, and when we participate in it, when we do our part to capture our own chaos, our own overwhelming potential that, uh, that doesn't allow itself ne- very easily to be harnessed like a really spirited horse that doesn't allow itself to be saddled, we know that that energy and that spirit would be so intense and so creative and so useful once it does allow itself to be saddled. And so the creative potential that the body has, uh, the creative energy that the body has, all of that, its intensity, its pleasure, its attraction, its its ability to, to make our lives or destroy our lives, all of that can be captured into tikkun, into creative, productive, and purposeful birth and creation. And that is the story of Gathered Waters. Partner with Rabbi Friedman. Visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support.